right, if you will turn to Acts 18. Acts 18. We're continuing through our study of Acts. The story continues. All right. Thank you, Lord. So last week, um, there was a, a guy that woke up uh, Sunday morning and, uh, and I just didn't feel like doing the church thing. And uh, not only was he a guy, he was a pastor. And he said, man, I, I just I don't have anything to say, you know. And there's anybody else that could do this better than me. Um, anybody would have more to say today than I do. He told his wife, man, I, I don't have anything to offer. Um, why do I even try? And his wife told him, you know, I'm, I'm sorry you feel that way, you know, but uh, I ain't doing it for you, so you got to go. And uh, share that for two reasons. First, there's times that no matter who we are, we feel like quitting. There's times that we all feel like giving up. I don't, I don't mean necessarily like just quitting the job or quitting. I, I mean, just there's times we just feel like giving up. Um, even people that from the outside might seem secure or confident or like things are going great for them sometimes just really struggle. Um, the second reason I share that is that guy was me last Sunday. You probably knew that. Sometimes I become so overcome by my inadequacy for what God has called me to do. Um, my fatigue, my desire to see results. Um, sometimes I just want to run away. You know? And uh, whether you're a pastor or a parent, um, or maybe in, in your parenting or in your marriage, in your work, um, in your ministry, we run up against that wall of depression, hopelessness, despair. Um, I know I normally start out with a funny story, but just dive in a little, a little deeper water. Um, you know, some of us are more predisposed toward depression than others, but everybody, no matter who you are, everybody deals with dark emotions at some times. Everybody does. We all do. Um, and when we feel dark emotions, we tend to feel like we're the only ones that, that, that feel those things, and, and you're not. Um, I, yesterday, in between crises, I was cleaning out some stuff at the house, and I ran across my journal from 20 years ago, when I, uh, 21 years ago, when I was 16 years old and locked up for a year, and, and I, I, I went back to that journal and, and uh, was just reading through, and, and how when it started, man, I was... Man, I was flying high with Jesus. It was just me and Jesus, and I, I was just walking close with Him, and I was on fire for Him, and, and uh, I just felt Him. I knew He was there every moment. But then a, a few weeks in, a few months in, there would be this recurring theme. Every, every few days or weeks, I would write, man, I just don't know where, um, like, where is He? I feel so alone. I feel like I'm praying, and, and nobody's listening. And, and uh, I know you feel like that sometimes. I know there's times that you feel like, Man, I, I'm, I'm doing the same thing I was doing last week, and, and, and it's like I don't, I don't feel like he's even hearing me. And, and then and, and I would just tell myself, I would just write out the truth, and I would write out Scripture, and I would remind myself of what was true. And then a couple days later, I would be, man, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to rock and roll. I'm flying high with Jesus again. But there's been kind of that pattern throughout my life that there's high times and low times and, 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 and dark times. And uh, so, so my question for us today is, what, what, what can we remember? What are a few things we can remember? What are a few things that we can hold on to when we feel like giving up? 
what are a few things we can hold on to when we feel like giving up? And um, I believe that suffering is a daily opportunity. Whatever suffering is, whether it's physical suffering, whether it's emotional anguish, whether it's people talking bad about you, suffering is a daily opportunity to define your life by the cross of Jesus Christ. Suffering is a daily opportunity to define and to root and to anchor your life in the cross of Jesus Christ. So Acts 18, the setting here, um, Paul, if we remember from last week in, in Acts 17, Paul was in Athens, the intellectual center of the world, and he, and he shared the gospel with the, the intellectual and philosophical giants of his time. And then he, he left Mars Hill, the Areopagus, and now he is in Corinth. And he went from the city of intellect to the city of idolatry and immorality. Corinth was sin city of its time. It was a port city, and port cities then had reputations like port cities do now. Lots of things happened in Corinth. Um, and there were people from all over the world there. And, uh, and there were all kinds of uh, idolatrous temples. But at the center of the city of Corinth was the temple of Aphrodite, the goddess of love. But not the self-giving, other-centered, uh, sacrificial, agape love that Paul preached Uh, Aphrodite's love was a love that was all about twisted sexual appetite. And Aphrodite sent, uh, uh, Aphrodite's temple sent um, slave prostitutes throughout the city by the thousands every day to invite worshipers to come and worship in the temple of Aphrodite. And Paul is inviting people to take up their cross and follow Jesus and come and die. And his message was a little bit at a disadvantage when you're competing with uh, the goddess of Aphrodite, and your, your alternative is take up your cross and follow Jesus and die to yourself. I mean, you're at a, bis, a, a bit of a disadvantage there. So Paul goes to Corinth, chapter 18, verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And so uh, all the Jews had been, had been uh, uh, sent out of Rome for a period. The emperor Claudius had done that. One historian wrote in this time that, that, that this arose over a dispute amongst the Jews over a man named Crestus, which is probably a, mis, uh, a, mis, uh, a misspelling of Crestus. Uh, there, there, there was this uh, friction amongst Jewish people about somebody named Christus. Well, we know that's probably Jesus. And some Jews are saying, yeah, Jesus is the Messiah. Some are. And there's this, uh, f- uh, this uh, friction between them and Claudius. Uh, the emperor takes the opportunity just to kick all the Jews out of Rome. And so when, when Paul meets Priscilla and Aquila, this couple, that this, this couple that are passionate um, about Jesus and... Uh, they're refugees living in, 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 and they've been kicked out of their home, and they're living in, uh, in, in Corinth, in, in the, the sin city of the world. And, and uh, you know, I just think back in times in my life when I've been at a low point and how God has provided people to speak into me. And that's what God does for Paul here. He provides this couple, Priscilla and Aquila, who just walk with him. And, uh, and they're ministry partners with him, and they share a burden with him. Um, verse 3, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And tent maker, that word is probably more generally they were leather workers. And I just think there's something really cool about Paul working with his hands and making leather goods and making tents. And, and part of his ministry, he supported himself with the work of his hands. Other times in his ministry, the churches supported him so he could devote all his time to ministry. It just kind of depended on the season that he was in. Verse 4, he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. And you can just kind of see here, Paul has been doing this now for years. And he's traveled thousands of miles. 
and he's been beaten, and he's been uh, run out of town, and he's had lies told about him, and he's been attacked verbally and emotionally and physically. And uh, there's some clues in the text here, and there's some clues in what Paul writes to the Corinthians, that by this point in his ministry, by this point in his life, Paul is tired. Um, and Paul is worn down. And, and Paul is, 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 uh, is, is, is in a struggle. Um, and so he ends up staying in Corinth a year and a half, which is longer than Paul usually stayed anywhere. He stays there a year and a half, puts roots down, and, uh, and uh, he's going to end up writing more words to this uh, uh, congregation at Corinth than he does to anybody else. But over in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 2 that we read earlier, Paul reminds the Corinthians of what his state of mind was and what his state of heart was when he came to them. His attitude, his mindset, he said, I determined to know nothing among you than Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul went into the most wicked and the most immoral and the most idolatrous city armed with the message that Christ has died and Christ has risen. You know, people are going to come to you as a Christian, as a believer. People are going to come to you for all kinds of answers. And, all, and people come to me for all kinds of answers. And all I have to offer anybody, all you have to offer anybody, is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's, that's the best we're going to do. We're not going to improve on that. All I have and all I need is the, the message that Christ has died and Christ is risen. That is what has transformed my life. That is what is still transforming my life. That is what heals marriages. That is what sets addicts free. This bizarre, foolish-sounding message that Christ became one of us, died on a cross, rose again. That's all you need. It's all you have. And it's all anybody else needs. And it's the best thing you can offer. He says, I didn't, I determined not to come to you with all kinds of flashy words, but I just, this message of Christ crucified. Of course, he spoke about the resurrection. Of course, he spoke about Jesus uh, being the, the, the fulfillment of the story. We know that from everywhere else, Paul, everything else Paul says in Acts, but the center of his message, the center of his being, what he clung to with all his might is, is Christ crucified. His deepest truth, his deepest core, his deepest reality is that Christ suffered anguish on the cross. I can just imagine Paul meditating on Psalm 22 that Jesus spoke from the cross where where he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And whatever pit of anguish you may be in or you may go into tomorrow, whether it's marriage trouble or whether it's addiction or whether it's people are are lying about you or whether you you can't stand your, your spouse right now or you can't stand yourself right now or you've just got dark emotions going on and you can't even explain why, the thing that you can hold on to and that we can hold on to in that is that Christ has experienced suffering and trauma and pain and rejection and anguish, the likes of which nobody else can ever even imagine. He has been, wherever you are, He has been there before you. He has been there ahead of you. Um, and so Paul experienced, he says, he says man, I, and, and he goes on to say, I was with you, he says, in weakness and fear. And trembling. Anybody want to follow a leader like that? Anybody want to follow a leader that's weak and afraid and trembling? That's, that's not the kind of leader that our world or our culture uh, values. We want somebody that's going to blaze a trail and never doubt and never, and never grow weary and, and never have a bad day, right? Somebody that just can, can just take it all for us. And the only person that can just take all of our junk and carry it is Jesus Christ. No human leader is going to be that. 
Um, Paul says, man, when I was with you, I was full of fear. I was terrified, and I was trembling, and I was weak. But somehow as Paul held in his center of gravity was the cross of Jesus Christ, somehow through that, God did a work of transformation in Paul and in those Corinthians. I mean, that's how God works. Your weakness, your emotional weakness, your marital weakness, your, your, your mental weakness, your physical weakness, that's a doorway for the power of God to be made manifest in your life. Verse 6, And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments. I'm sorry. He shook out his garments. And he said to them, Your blood is on your own hands. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And so uh, Paul is, is not saying he's innocent in the sense of I've never done anything wrong or I'm sinless. He's saying, look, he's saying to his fellow Jews, look, I've given you the message. I've told you the truth. I've been responsible to you, but I can't be responsible for you. You have to decide what you're going to do with this. And if you're walking with somebody through hard things, God, you're responsible to that person. If you're walking with somebody and trying to lead them to the Lord, you're responsible to that person to, to share the message, but you cannot be responsible for what they do with it. He says, he says I'm innocent. I've told you what I can tell you, and now I'm going to go and I'm going to share the word with people that might listen. And that's what he does. He says, it says that they opposed and reviled him, and that word opposed is, is, is the word to be hostile. Uh, and revile is the word for blaspheme. They said terrible things about him. They lied about him. They attributed terrible motives to him. And I think if we, if we look at that, there's times, think about times that people rejected you. Isn't that the worst thing that, that I mean, so often, like the thing that we fear the worst is just rejection. Think about times that people rejected you. Think about times that people lied on you. Think about times that people betrayed you and, 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 and reviled you. And then think about times that you did that to other people. As humans, we've been on both sides of that. Sometimes we're the reviled one, and sometimes we're the reviler. And, 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 and Paul is, is here, he's going to his own people, sharing the gospel with them, and they reject him, and they oppose him, and they revile him, and they hate him. In the face of that kind of rejection, Paul clings to the cross. His deepest truth is Christ crucified. Again, we've got to read this passage in Acts 18 kind of with that 1 Corinthians 2 passage in our other hand because that, that's what gives us the behind-the-scenes look. He said, I was with you in fear and trembling and, 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 and I held on to the cross. So he's got opposition. And man, when we experience opposition, we experience turmoil, we experience loss, we experience suffering. It's easy for those dark emotions just to come bubble up. But, you know, opposition isn't the only thing Paul experienced during this time. Some amazing things happened, too. Uh, he left there, verse 7, and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord. Together was in the entire household. Many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. So all these amazing, like the, the ruler of the synagogue gave his life to the Lord. Tons of Corinthians, these wicked and immoral and idolatrous people turned from their sin and came to Christ. But you know what? We can have dark emotions and we can be depressed and we can be down when we're opposed. 
But we can have dark emotions and we can be down and we can be depressed even when everything's going right. You ever have that happen? And your friends come along and say, man, why are you, what do you have to complain about? I mean, you got all these, you got this and you got that and this is going for you and look at how great, I wish I was in your situation and all that, which that's not really helpful by the way when we do those things. But, but we can experience depression and we can be down and we can experience dark emotion even when from the outside everything's going great, even when there's fruitfulness, even when there's success. Um, and you know that because you, there was a time you got that job or there was a time you got that raise. There was a time that you married that person of your dreams and yet there was still something missing. Deep down, there was still something missing. And, and whether we're experiencing a season of opposition and loss or we're experiencing a season of fruitfulness and blessing and goodness, either way, the only place we can cling to for stability in the midst of our dark emotions is the cross of Jesus Christ. He says, I determined to know nothing among you except Him and Him crucified. Sometimes things are going great at work and great in our marriage, but there's still that thing deep down, that shadow. What do we do with that? It can actually be an invitation, whether we're experiencing opposition or we're experiencing glory, that, that shadow, that dark emotion that we experience, that feeling of emptiness and despair, it can actually be an invitation to go deeper in our walk with God. That, that thing that we, we want to we self-medicate it, maybe if I work harder and I don't listen to this, maybe if I drink more, maybe if I smoke more, maybe if I do more, whatever, uh, we try everything we can to just not feel that. But what if it's an invitation to go deeper with God? What if through that pain, Christ is inviting us to encounter Him in a fresh way? Dan Allender in his book, um, Cry of the Soul, says that earthly hope is fragile because death and decay are always around the corner. Just when things seem to be working well, something goes wrong. We, 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 we know how that, how that goes. Um, and if all I have is earthly hope, like if my hope is that, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be healthier next year than I am this year. If my hope is I'm going to have more money in the bank next month than I have now. If my hope is if I do this, this, and this, my family's all going uh, to get right. Man, that's, putting, that, that, that's setting ourselves up for disappointment. But there is such a thing as heavenly hope. There is a hope that sure, Allener goes on, apart from heavenly hope, earthly hope has only one destination, disappointment. But heavenly hope provides the substance that allows us to hope also here on earth, God is at work in the circumstances of my life. Um, heavenly hope isn't just this hope of I'm going to heaven when I die. Heavenly hope is this hope that says, you know what? Jesus is with me in the midst of this, and I believe that he is doing something in the midst of this, even though I can't see it all right now. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul describes a situation that happened kind of just after what we're reading here. And he, I mean, and things went even uh, he experienced even darker emotion. In 2 Corinthians 1, Paul told uh, the Corinthians, he said, you remember what happened to us? He said, we were so weighted down beyond our ability. He says, I felt like the death sentence had been passed on me. I didn't even want to live anymore. But he said, all this happened that I might come to have my trust, not in myself, but in the God who raises the dead. When we come to the end of ourselves, um, when, we, when, when we come to the end of ourselves, what can happen is that we find that we have deeper trust in the God who raises the dead. I come to rely not on myself, but on Him. My weakness opens the door for God's power. Charles Spurgeon, I shared on Facebook earlier this week, um, Charles Spurgeon was the greatest preacher of the past 200 years, and throughout his life he struggled with depression. 
When he was in his early 20s, he was preaching to a packed house. I mean, thousands of people packed in this auditorium. And somebody, to play a prank, shouted, fire! And all these people tried to run out. And seven people got trampled to death. And it haunted him like he never, I mean, it haunted him from then on. But, but there were other things, and, 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 and he bowed, battled with this, these bouts of depression throughout his life. And Spurgeon wrote, when a man is depressed in spirit and tortured in body, where does he look? If he is a Christian, where does he fly? Where indeed but to Jesus crucified? This is a man that preached, he could preach the rafters off of a building. He knew Jesus like, like nobody's business. He, 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 could just, he, he, could, he could preach and man, people would respond. And yeah, he battled depression. He battled dark emotions throughout his life. And he said, who is an expert on depression? He says, where can we fly but to Christ and Christ crucified? That's the only place we can go with our dark emotions. Is to Jesus there suffering anguish on the cross, the only person that can relate, the only person that can understand, the one that's gone before us. And so God gives Paul a word here in verse 9, Acts 18, verse 9. And I believe it's a word that applies to Paul, but applies to anybody who is experiencing a dark time. Whether you're tired, you're worn out, you're ready to just give up. Let's look at God's word to Paul, verse 9. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, we know that Paul was in dire need because God doesn't just pass visions out for no reason. And then we also know from the first words that, Paul, that God tells Paul, he says, do not fear. What's that tell us that Paul was experiencing? Paul was experiencing fear. And Paul is in good company because everybody God's ever used experiences fear. He says, do not fear. Um... I just, you know, God's saying to Paul, don't let fear rule you here. Paul, I just want you to think about for a second, what's the fear voice saying right now to you? Right now, how is fear paralyzing you? What lie is fear telling you? And, 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 and what does God's word say to that? What does God's word say to that? God tells Paul, do not fear. Then he says, keep on speaking, verse 9. Go on speaking and do not be silent. Why? God doesn't say because you're so good at it, Paul. I just don't know what I'm going to do without you and you're so gifted. No, he says go on doing it because I'm with you. I'm with you. God gives three promises here. Three promises that I hope in your dark times you can grab hold of. These are the only things that I can grab hold of. And so far, they've carried me through. God gives the promise. He says, I'm with you. You're not alone. I'm with you, and I'm enough. I just want to encourage you. You, you know this already, but whatever you've got going on circumstantially or emotionally or mentally or physically, financially, relationally, Jesus is with you, and Jesus is enough, and we forget. We forget that Jesus is enough. He's enough for you. That's what he's telling Paul. I'm with you. Hey, I'm with you. Did you forget that I'm with you? Nobody's with me and nobody hears me and nobody's understanding me. And nobody... Hey, I'm with you. I'm with you. Jesus is telling Paul, I'm with you. I could just, just, just sit still for a minute and just imagine the risen Son of God telling you that. I'm with you in your illness. I'm with you 
in your, your empty bank accountness. I'm with you in, in, your, uh, in the charges you may be facing. I'm with you in your family dynamic. I'm with you even when you feel like I'm not. And then he says, uh, no one will attack or harm you. Uh, uh, now, now, that's not a universal promise that all of us can, can claim. God is telling Paul, basically, I'm going to give you a reprieve here, Paul. You've been getting drug out in the street and stoned and, 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 and beaten um, and thrown in prison, and I'm going to give you a season where that doesn't happen. But the universal promise here is, even when people, and, and by the way, when we, talk, when we throw around how we got hurt in church, I, I kind of picture the Apostle Paul like, please, I literally got drug out and like beaten with sticks, so come on. <laughs> Somebody didn't shake your hand, it's not the same thing. Um, I'm not belittling your pain from church. Um, but Paul, God gives Paul the season, but also the, the, the ultimate, the universal promises here, even when people do lie on you, even when people do re, uh, revile you, even when people do say and do things to you, it can't ultimately hurt you if your life is hidden with Christ in God. It can't ultimately hurt you if your identity is rooted in the cross of Jesus Christ. It hurts, but there's something deeper, more deeply true, and that's the cross of Jesus. I'm with you. I'm protecting you. And then he says, I have many people in this city. I have many people in this city. I love that. I love that God tells Paul, and this is something that God has to remind me of a lot. I suspect he has to remind you of this. Hey, you're not the only person dealing with this right now you know whatever it is you're dealing with right now you're not the first person in history that's dealt with that and and i'm not belittling belittling any of us but sometimes we suffer from terminal uniqueness and we think that nobody has ever experienced what i'm experiencing and god tells paul man i got other people in the city Man, I got other people that are struggling to be faithful. You're not alone. You know, whatever marriage problem, whatever financial problem, whatever health problem, you're not the first. You're not even the only person probably in this room. I loved hearing that from the Spears. Blake said, man, we went in a re-engage thinking we were the only messed up marriage. And man, everybody is. God's got other people. I, I, this really reminds me of Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 18 and 19. He had this great victory over the prophets of Baal, um, and just like you know, Paul did in, on the Mars Hill. And then, and then uh, Elijah runs away from Queen Jezebel, and he runs. And after this great victory, even in the midst of a season of great ministry, fruitfulness, unlike anything he's ever seen, Elijah runs and he goes to a cave and he hides and he tells God that he wants to die. He's depressed. And God comes to him in the still, small voice. And God tells Elijah, I have 7,000 others who have not bowed the knee. Sometimes what we need to hear, you're not the only person trying to be faithful to God. And that's encouraging to me. Man, there's other man, there's people out there that you don't even know about that are struggling with this and struggling with that and, and, and that are seeking God. God has other people in this city. So there's an encouragement there. But there's also a challenge there because this is Corinth we're talking about. And a lot of the people that God had in that city, a lot of God's people in that city didn't yet realize they were God's people. God had people in that city that didn't even know yet that they were God's people. Therefore, Paul has to keep going. Paul has to keep speaking. Paul has to keep clinging to the cross of Christ because through Paul, God's going to clue other people in that, they, that, that they're God's and that they belong to him. God has people in Sweetwater and Roscoe and Mary Neal and Champion and Roby and Sylvester. God has people in Nolan County 
that don't even know they're God's people yet. And God has wired you in such a way, God has given you a story and a certain testimony that you are able to reach those people in a way that I cannot and the next person cannot. So don't give up and don't quit and don't, don't, don't stop. God's got other people. You're not alone. God's got other people. You're not done. You're not alone and you're not done. So what are some things, just based on what God told, told Paul as we wrap up, what can you remember when you feel like giving up? Number one, cling to the cross of Jesus Christ. Whatever you got going on, cling to the cross of Jesus Christ. There's nothing more deeply true about you and Christ crucified. Number two, fear is a liar. Whatever the fear voice is saying, I mean, unless fear is saying, you know, don't jump off a bridge, then fear is telling you the truth. But fear that's debilitating, debilitating fear that keeps you frozen and stuck, is, it's, it's lying to you. So what lies is fear saying? Three, Jesus is with you when Jesus is enough. Four others have been here. Remember your need for community. Carrie Newoff in his, in his uh, book, Didn't See It Coming, says that solitude is a tool of God. Isolation is a tool of the devil. And so we need to pull back away at times and, and have solitude with just us and God. That's healthy. But when I experience dark emotions, and when I, I, I suspect that when you do, there's this temptation to shut people out. And to clench up our fists and say, hey, stay away from me. I'm going to isolate. Isolation is not going to bring consolation to you. It never will. Solitude will. That replenishes. Isolation does not. Others have been there. Jesus has been there. And you have a purpose. So keep on. You got a testimony. Um, on the other side of the dark cloud, there's going to be more dark clouds. But you know what? On the other side of this dark cloud, there's a testimony that you have that you can share with somebody. Hey, here's where I was. And here's how God worked in me. Here's how God worked through me.